Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. So uh, we're in a series called Out of Your Mind. We're trying to get out of our minds a little bit, right? Uh, Get out of the struggles that kind of weigh us down in our heads, all of the anxiety, depression, discouragement, fear, um, things that bombard your mind, and how do you fight those things? And the story we're going to look at today in the Bible, I taught through this story almost two years ago in our church, so if you were here then, you might have heard it before, but that's okay. And I just couldn't think of doing this series where we're talking about um, battles in your mind or getting out of your mind and kind of winning that war inside of your head without teaching through this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's one of the most familiar, common stories in the Bible. Even people who've never been in church um, have ref- will reference this story or know something about this story. So if you want to follow along with us, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. All the verses will be on the screen for you. We'll be in 1 Samuel 17 pretty much the whole time today. And I just want to read you one verse from that chapter, okay? 1 Samuel 17 verse 50 says this. So David triumphed over the Philistine, the giant, the Philistine, with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Let me read it again in case you missed it. You ready? So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. All right? 1 Samuel 17, 15. I know some of you are very churched, right? I don't even, if you don't know what that means, then you might not be, right? But very churched. Like you've been in church a lot. Maybe you grew up in church, you went to VBSs, you know what VBS means, like you're so churched, you know, so, but you've been in Sunday school classes, and you've, you were here two years ago, and we taught about this, right, so you know this story already, you're like, I know where this is going, and that's okay, that's okay, you think, I've already heard this story before, I've heard it dozens of times, I know exactly how it ends already, I might as well just go ahead and tune it out, Right? I want you to know you're in the right place today, okay? So if you're like, I know this story, I know how it ends, that's okay because the title of the sermon today is, I know how this story ends, all right? So you're in the exact right spot. So do you know how it ends? We'll see. We'll find out in just a second, okay? But it's the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And all, many, all these people that have been in church their whole life, they think, I know exactly how it's going to go. I know every twist and turn. I know exactly how it's going to end. I'm not exactly sure how it applies to getting out of my own mind, but I know this story pretty well. And uh, even people who aren't Christians, even people who aren't Jewish, even people who don't have any religious background at all will reference this story when talking about a little guy going up against a big guy or an underdog going against the favorite, right? They'll reference this story of David and Goliath. You're kind of like the little guy's David and the big guy's Goliath, right? So they know it. And uh, that's okay. If you know how it ends, you're in the right spot. I still think God's got something for each of us today. Tune in just for a few minutes and see if God doesn't teach you something brand new to win the fight going on inside your head. So this weekend, we always have family night on Friday nights at our house. Sometimes we go out, sometimes we stay in, but it's always family night. And this weekend, we rented a movie for family night, right? Because uh, at school on like Thursday, I can't remember what day it was, Thursday or Friday or something like that, Logan's class had like a a special reward day. So I don't know what they were getting rewarded from. I don't know if it was like putting up with school all year or what, but we should do that at church. 
Kenny was like a special like reward us day for putting up with like, I don't know, Michael, right? It's be like a reward day for me. But uh, so they had like a reward day. It was like, I don't even know what it was. If it was like pizza or ice cream or something and a movie in the gym. So they watched a movie called Raya and the Last Dragon. Anybody seen that movie in here? No, because none of your little kids, they're all outside right now. But if you were a little kid, you'd want to see that. So it uh, just came out on video, Raya and the Last Dragon. They watched it in school on Thursday. And so we decided to rent it on Friday so Sydney could see it too, right? So Friday night, we sit down to watch the movie. And it was a different experience than our typical family night movie night. Because Logan had already seen the movie. All right? So I spent half of the movie making him cry, really. So he's pretty sensitive. So I spent half of the movie telling him over and over again, hey, man, don't tell us how it ends. All right? Let Sydney be just as surprised at it as you were. Don't tell us how, what's going to happen or what's coming next. But all throughout the movie, you'd hear him say things like, don't worry, he's not really dead. Don't worry, he comes back from being turned to stone. Don't worry, it's not as bad as it looked. Don't worry, the dragon's not real mean, right? All this stuff. And I had to keep saying, Logan, stop telling Sydney what's going to happen. She hasn't seen it yet, right? Something changed for him because he had already seen the movie before. Something changes when you know how it's going to end. There's no fear. He wasn't anxious at all during the movie. I didn't have to reassure him that the dad wasn't really dead. Because in like every Disney movie, the mom or dad dies. You ever notice that? I mean, from like Bambi to Lion King to Raya and the Last Dragon. Every Disney movie, it's like that's the only thing they can do to tug on little kids' heartstrings is kill off the parents. You ever notice that? It's like, can't we just, can't they get into a fight with one of their friends or something? It's always like kill the mom or dad, right? And so usually I'm like reassuring them, like let's just watch the whole thing and see how it ends. But in this case, he already knew how it was going to end. So he wasn't worried at all when the dad got turned to stone. I was a little worried, but he wasn't worried because he knew how it was going to go. 1 Samuel 17, 50, David never read that verse. David never read that verse. So throughout this whole story, it's easy for us to look at it and be like, I know how it's going to end. But David didn't know how it was going to end when he had enough courage to stand up against a giant with just a sling and a stone. He didn't know how the story was going to unfold, did he? But yet he still had courage to do it. He still trusted God had his back. So why? How? How do you know how a story is going to end if you, don't already, if you haven't already seen it? How do you know how your story is going to unfold if nobody's ever told you what the end's going to look like? Here's how David knew, and here's how we know the same thing too, right? He knew who was writing the story. He knew who the author of his story was. So he knew the writer's style. He knew how the book was going to play out. He knew how the movie was going to come back to the end. You know, in American movie culture, until about 1980, it always ended happily ever after. You never watched a movie, and it ended bad. And so you could watch any movie in our country and know that if the antagonist was in the lead, if he was winning the day, if the hero looked like they were about to die and go under, just hold fast, because in the end, it's going to end happily. Now, some writers and Movie producers have changed that now in the last 30 or 40 years. 
but you get to know a certain author style or you get to know a certain screenwriter's approach to movies and you start to know. Sometimes it's the other way. You're like, I know this guy always kills off everybody in the end and everything looks real good right now, so I know it's not over because I know who's writing this movie. So that's how David knew. But he didn't know every part of the story. I mean, isn't that what God does for us? He tells us how the story's going to end, but he doesn't tell us how, like, every chapter of the story's going to end, does he? So how do you have enough confidence to trust him? That's what David did, right? Trusted that God had his back, even though he'd never read 1 Samuel 17, 50, even though he didn't know exactly how every step of the journey was going to unfold, he still trusted God the whole time. Is that you? Will you trust God even when you don't know exactly how the story's going to end? You don't know how each chapter is going to go? It got me thinking this week about this idea from my past. I'm going to share it with you. I've shared it with our church before, but uh, kind of this phrase. Ready? Here's the phrase. Ready? It could have ended a whole lot different. All right? Now, that phrase might mean a lot of things to a lot of different people in here, but I'm going to tell you what it means to me, all right? The year after I graduated from high school, uh, if you're like a senior in high school, you can just tune this part out for a second, but I believe that's when, like, males are at their stupidest. I know that's not a real word, but you know what I mean, right? The average guy, right after he graduates from high school, that's when, like, the stupid pill takes hold, right? And so that was me. And so um, summer after I graduated from high school, me and two of my friends, Jamie McClanahan, who's a pastor in Virginia right now, and Craig Tomlinson, the three of us, got together on one evening. We were hanging out, sitting around doing nothing. I don't even remember. We are probably eating something, sitting around talking, hanging out. And one of us, I don't remember who it was, like, hey, let's go down to the Sinking Valley Reservoir, right? The Sinking Valley Reservoir in central Pennsylvania, and let's water slide down the spillway, Okay. And so uh, we get in our cars and we drive down to Sinking Valley. That's not a good name for a town, by the way, but that's what was the suburb where I grew up was called. Sinking Valley. And the only way you could get into this reservoir was to hop over the fence. So we climb up over the fence. And uh, one of my buddies had like a little plastic sled you would use in the snow. And we took all the car floor mats out of our cars, took those in with us. And we thought, we're going we're gonna to water slide down this reservoir. So this reservoir had about a 50-foot spillway made out of concrete where the reservoir kind of like um, would overflow it and go down to the bottom and then through a pipe and off to be treated, you know, for drinking water. So you can look at this uh, spillway. It's about 50 foot down, all concrete. And then at the bottom, there's kind of like a flat spot where the water pools up and then drains off to the side, right? So we're like, let's try to water slide down that. So we all sit down on these car floor mats and this um, snow sled and stuff like that. We're trying to get down. We couldn't get going. Like we were scooting, but there was too much friction from the concrete, right? And so we couldn't, we couldn't water slide. And so my buddies had kind of given up, and they were standing at the top there. The water's about an inch deep, and we're just kind of goofing around. One of my buddies went to the bathroom in the water. That's not sanitary. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, um, but that's what you do when you first graduate high school. You don't, you're just an idiot, okay? And so I'm sitting there in the middle, and I was like, I'm going to try without the floor mat because maybe I could get going, just on the water. So I take the floor mat out, and I just start scooting down the concrete a little bit. I still couldn't go. There's still too much friction. What I didn't realize at the time was when you get about five feet down, the slope changed, and it went like a lot more steep. So I scooted to like the edge of that without realizing. I took one more scoot, 
and then I was off. I mean, I was off. It was the fastest I'd ever been outside of a vehicle, okay? I mean, it was going, this is no lie. My friends, if you talk to either of them today, they'll tell you, like, water was just shooting up behind me. Like, I was going so fast. It was, like, spraying water up behind me. And I was, like, terrified. And so, like, I'm flailing my arms. I'm getting cut up. Everything's getting, I'm trying to, like, slow down with my hands on the concrete. And I couldn't slow down. Stuff was just going everywhere. And I'm like, this is not good. This isn't good, you know? And so, like, I couldn't slow down. I couldn't stop. I'm looking at the bottom as I slide down probably, I don't know, 20 miles an hour. Who knows? And I'm looking at the bottom, and I'm thinking, okay, at the bottom, there's this six-foot spot that flattens out, and the water builds up to about a foot deep or so. I thought, when I hit that, it'll slow me down a little bit. I'll be able to, like, regain control, right? But when I hit that flat spot, instead of slowing me down, it threw me airborne, because I was going so fast, okay? So I go airborne, I fly out over this five or six foot spot onto this huge pile of like, uh, big stones, and it flips me over. Like I, I hit it, boom, and then I flip forward, I fall like chest first, right on this pile of stones, boom. And I just lay there like dripping with blood all over, right? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, like groggy almost. Like I'm, it's not good, you know? And I stand up and I kind of do like a self-inventory of where the worst cuts are and where the most blood's coming from, right? And just in case you want to know, the most blood was coming from right here, okay? So this bled for about two days right here. But it's all over me, my knuckles, my palms, my legs, my bottom, right? We have to say bottom in our house. My elbows, my knees, everything's skinned up. And there's like, there was, must have been some pointy rock because like right there was like a... Like it impaled me almost. And I get up and there's just blood dripping off me. And my friends are at the top of the spillway looking down the spillway like this. <laughs> like it was, it happened so fast. There was nothing they could do about it, you know? And I yell up. I'm like, I think I'm all right. And they just start laughing. As soon as they know I'm all right, they start laughing. So I have to like climb back up the side to the top of the spillway. And one of my buddies says to me, he's like, I thought we were going to have to call 911. They're going to have to life flight you out of here. You were going faster than I've ever seen. I can't believe you're all right. That could have ended a whole lot different, he said. That's what I think of when I think about stories that could have ended a whole lot different. I could have died. Seriously. That stone could have went right through my chest when I landed on it. And they were like, I thought you were dead, dude. That's what they all said. It could have ended a whole lot different, couldn't it? I got a lot of stories like that. One time we were swimming at Canoe Creek State Park in Huntington, Pennsylvania. And I was there with my mom, my dad, and my brother. My dad doesn't even know this, I don't think. But I was little. I couldn't even swim yet. We were in the water, and I was walking out trying to be big because I was little and I wanted to be big. That's what little people do. So I was walking out as far as I could walk out. And I get to where I'm like, oh, my tippy toes. I can barely stand, you know. And then I hit this hole in the sand. Somebody had dug out. And I go like, boom, completely under. And I can't swim, so I'm flailing and trying to get up to the top, you know. Nobody in the family sees me. I'm dead. Like at that point, I'm dead, I'm thinking, you know. Some stranger just walking by. He's an adult guy. Just water's only up to here on him. He just walks by, grabs my arm, pulls me over two feet, keeps walking. <laughs> and I'm like, that could have ended a whole lot different, couldn't it? Couldn't it? I didn't know that stranger was in the water. If God hadn't put that stranger in the water and he hadn't grabbed my arm, pulled me two feet, that story would have ended 
a whole lot different, wouldn't it? Your stories are just like that. Don't sit there and pretend to be all righteous. The only reason your story didn't end any different because the police weren't there when you did it, right? Because nobody checked your browser history because she didn't find out about it. But your stories could have ended a whole lot different, couldn't they, if you're being honest with yourself? If I'd have gone to a different college or married a different girl, my story could have been a whole lot worse, couldn't it? If I'd have married some, Veronica, if I'd have married somebody different, the story could have been a whole, whole lot worse for Stephanie, right? For Stephanie, yeah. It could have been a whole lot different than it was. And so how do you trust God when you don't know how each chapter of the story is going to end? How do you live with courage when you're afraid it may not work out the way you want it to work out? And you might be facing a giant in your life right now. Something that feels so huge that it's overwhelming you. But take heart that the challenge in front of you is just an indicator of the power within you. A couple weeks ago we talked about God's not going to let you face something you can't handle. But I want to amend that for you. You ready? God will let you face all kinds of stuff you can't handle. What God won't let you do is face something you can't handle with him. He'll let you face all kinds of stuff you can't handle without him. But he won't let you face something that you can't handle with him. And maybe you feel like God's silent. He hasn't revealed to you how the story's going to end. That can be a little alarming. But I want you to know from David's story today, while you may not know exactly how every chapter is going to play out or how the end is going to come about, God does give you some say in it. He lets you have some input in how the story is going to end. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time today is just from this story of David and Goliath, give you three things that will determine how your story ends. Can I do that? No matter what the story is, no matter what the giant is in your life, I want to give you three things from David's story that he teaches us, three things that will determine how your story ends. Ready? Here's the first one. Your attitude in the ordinary. Your attitude in the ordinary. That is the second time somebody's fallen down in this crowd. It is very concerning to me. Do we need like V8s or what? Nobody knows what that means unless they're my age. Let's see. Okay, so you to straighten you out with a V8? Is that, all right. So let me give you, here's the, fir the first one was, when you're at it, your attitude in the ordinary. And some of us will never be ready to fight giants because you refuse to be faithful while you're watching the goats. David could have been like a typical teenager, disgruntled and grumpy about everything. What do you mean I got to stay back and not join the war, not join the army? What do you mean I don't get to fight in the battle? What do you mean I got to watch the sheep? What do you mean I have to take food to my brothers who are doing the fighting? You want me to just look and see what's going on and then come back and report to you, Dad? What do you mean? Don't you know who I am? I've already been anointed to be the next king of Israel. You should be acting like I'm something great. Don't be giving me these menial tasks to do, these ordinary things to do. What if he had had a bad attitude? What if he had tripped over his attitude? This story could have gone a whole lot different. It wouldn't have been in VBS curriculums. It wouldn't have made it into your Sunday school class growing up. You wouldn't have seen it on a flannel graph. Flannel graph, just Google that when you get home, you'll see. It wouldn't have been on the flannel graph. 
You wouldn't have heard me teach about it two years ago. We wouldn't be talking about it today if the story was like, well, David's dad went to him and he said, take some food to your brothers who are out at war and see how the battle's going and come back. And David was like, oh, but I don't want to go, Dad. It's ridiculous. I'm going back to my room to play video games and watch Netflix. You go check on it yourself. David wouldn't have been in here. We wouldn't be reading about him in the Bible. If his attitude had been bad with the ordinary stuff, he would have never got to experience the extraordinary stuff. It wouldn't even have been a story in the Bible. You don't know when your giants are going to show up. So I want to ask you, are you ready to see them? Are you ready to face them? Because your attitude is a choice. And if you don't show up and do the ordinary stuff with a good attitude, it'll end up a whole lot different, won't it? That happens all the time. I, I hear that all the time when it comes to people getting plugged into serving roles at our church. You don't, you don't, you don't understand. I, I can't be in that worship band. I, I'm not very talented. Or they'll come to church like, hey, mom, I'll go to church with you, but I'm going to make sure I'm grumpy the whole time I'm there. So you know I don't really want to be there. I'll go to work, but I want to make sure everybody knows I hate this job. Right? I'll obey my parents, but I'm not going to do it with a good attitude. I'm only going to do it so they won't, I won't get in trouble. And we do stuff, and we even do some of the right stuff, some of the ordinary stuff, but man, our attitudes, our attitudes are not setting us up to defeat giants, are not setting us up to experience something extraordinary. They're bad. They're grumpy. They're grouchy. And if David had tripped over his ordinary tasks with bad attitudes... He would have missed this whole story. Instead, he obeys. Does what his dad asked him to do. Just does it kind of with a good, happy heart. His attitude in the ordinary. Here's the second thing you can do, or the second thing that will determine how your story ends. Ready? Your approach to the offense. Your approach to the offense. So David gets to the battle. His dad had asked him to run some food out to his brothers who were all in the army. David gets to the battle, and he hears this giant yelling across the valley, defying his God, challenging anyone who's courageous enough to come out and face him one-on-one -on -one to a fight to the death, in a fight to the death. David hears this, and he starts to ask some questions of the soldiers. What's going on? And that's really what his dad had asked him to do anyhow. He's like, what's going on? And he overhears somebody say about all the reward that comes the way of the soldier who defeats Goliath. Saul had put out all these rewards for anybody who would defeat this giant. And they were good rewards. It was like you get to marry Saul's daughter. And it like wasn't the ugly daughter. It was like the good-looking daughter. And he was like, you won't ever have to pay taxes again. I'll give you all this money. You'll be loaded. It's like, all I got to do is beat that giant. And everybody's scared except David. And David's asking all these other soldiers, like, is that really what the king said? Like, is there really all this reward if I defeat the giant? And his oldest brother overhears him. And just like an older sibling would do. Trey, you understand. Just like an older sibling would do. This is what his brother says. Look at it. In, in chapter 17, verse 28. Listen to what the oldest brother says to him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyhow? This, that's like modern version. Like, what are you even doing here, dude? Right? He demanded, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about the pride and deceit in your heart. You just want to see the battle. 
just like an older sibling would do to a younger sibling. This is what he's saying. He's like, what are you even doing here? You're just sticking your nose in my business again. Get out of here, right? And I'm, if I'm David, I'm like, and this is what David does in the very next verse. He's like, I wasn't even talking to you. Like, why are you up in my face about it? Like, okay, but he doesn't stay there. His approach to the offense could have been to fight and bicker and argue with his brother for 10 hours. And we would call that normal sibling, sibling behavior, right? <laughs> he could have stood there and fight, fought with his brother all the rest of the day, but instead he had a completely different approach to the offense. Instead of battling the wrong enemy, and that's what the devil does. He tries to trick you into fighting the wrong enemy so that you'll ignore the right enemy. If he can convince you or distract you by the wrong enemy, then you'll never pay attention to the right enemy. And the enemy will always present you with another enemy to keep you distracted from the enemy you're called to fight. That happens all the time. The enemy's trying to trigger David into fighting with Eliab. Because he, if he stands there and fights with his brother all day, he might never even see Goliath, the giant he's supposed to defeat. Is that what we do? Sometimes you're fighting against the very people you're supposed to be fighting for. I don't know if you'll pick up on this or not, but all of the obstacles David had to overcome to defeat Goliath, to defeat the giant he was facing, all of the obstacles he had to face, they all came from people who were supposed to love and care about him. And he kind of got so busy fighting those people that he ignored the real enemy. How many people are busy fighting their spouse all the time when you're supposed to be on the same team? How many people are busy arguing and defying their parents all the time when you're supposed to be on the same side? How often are we fighting against the very people we're supposed to be fighting for? David didn't fall for that trap. He did what any younger brother would do, I think, and he looks back at him in verse 29, and he's kind of like, hey, man, why are, you on my, why are you on my case? wasn't even talking to you. Just leave me alone. But then in the very next verse, in verse 30, he shows us what your approach to the offense should be. Can I show it to you? This is his approach. Watch verse 30. Then he turned away. That's a good, hey, listen, if you're a younger sibling in the room, that's good advice right there. Older, older siblings give you grief. Just be like, Psh, turn around. Walk away. He didn't stand there and argue with him. He turned from him, and he got back to what he was doing. He started asking some other people. Okay, dude, we're good. I've heard enough. So anyhow, guys, is that the reward the king said we're going to get? And they told him, yeah, it is. He didn't dwell there on the offense. He just moved past it. And some of you are being defeated simply because you're distracted. You get distracted by the wrong enemy or what they say about me. You spend all your time fighting with people on social media feeds. Who cares what they say about you? I was thinking, that, I was thinking this week about like all the things people have said about me that I can remember. <laughs> it's so many things. I got a lot of problems. And I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things about me. And you want to defend yourself. You want to fight back. But sometimes it's just kind of like a, I'm just going to turn the other way. And the Bible doesn't say this, so I don't really know if this is true. But I'd like to think that like when he turned away from his brother, it's like it positioned him to be able to see the giant. Hey, man, I've heard enough. Bam. There's a giant i got to fight. 
Instead of wasting all my time fighting the wrong enemy, I want to position myself to see and fight the right enemy. Here's the third one. The third thing you can do to determine how your story ends. Ready? Your answer to only. Your answer to only. So your attitude in the ordinary, your approach to the offense, and your answer to only. You know what I'm talking about when I say only? I mean, it's the things that you are, you only are. Like you're not, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. And doggone it, people don't like you. That's from Saturday Night Live. Nobody watched that either when they were growing up, I guess. So it's like, it's all the things that you only are. Like I'm only a kid, or I'm only a senior citizen, or I'm only a high school educated person, or I'm only this, or I'm only that. I'm not this, I'm not that. If David had tripped over the onlys, he would have never got to the battle. So David goes into the king. He's energized, he's ready, he wants that reward. And he has no fear of this giant. And he says to him, he's like, I'll fight that giant. I'll defeat him. He's going to stand there and defy my God. I'll battle him and I'll kill him. And Saul, who's supposed to be on his side, who's supposed to be his friend, who's supposed to love him and care for him at that time, the king, this is what Saul says to him in verse 33. Look, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy. You are only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. You're only this. You're only that. Try to plug people into stuff at our church all the time. That's the kind of stuff I hear. They don't always use the word only, but that's really what they're saying. Hey, what do you think about joining the worship band? Well, I'm only an amateur. I'm not as good as them. I hear that all the time, right? Try to plug somebody into leading a life group. Well, I don't know as much about the Bible as other people. I'm only this, only that. Try to plug somebody into coming to help set up on Sunday mornings. Well, I'm only a teenager. I can't get up before 11, right? You try to plug somebody into any kind of role. Hey, would you be interested in teaching sidekicks? Well, I'm only fill in the blank. I'm not that good with. I'm not very skilled at. I don't have a lot of experience in all your onlys, all the things that keep you back. And Saul did this to David. He's supposed to be on his side. Look at David's life right now, man. It's like his dad's asking him to do a bunch of stuff he probably doesn't want to do. His brother's arguing with him, even though he didn't do anything wrong. The king's trying to bash him, bring him down, even though he's trying to do the right thing. Man, all the fights you got to face of all the people in your life that are supposed to love you and have your back. And it's okay if they say you're only. It's okay if you feel that because if I'm only this, then God will get all the credit when it happens. In other words, it's good if somebody says, hey, you're only a kid. You're only a senior. You're only high school educated. You're, you don't have much experience. You're only a new Christian. That's okay. Because when they say that, I'll just say back to them, good. Then everyone will know that God's the real killer of giants, not me, when it happens. I want you to see what David says back to him. In the next just few words, David gives us the, the answer. Look at verse 34, the first three words. But David persisted. That's a good one. That's a good one. Hey, man, you're only this. I'm going to keep persisting. I'm going to keep pushing. David goes on in the next few verses to be like, 
you don't understand, king. I got this guy. I got this giant. I, I tend sheep for my dad. King's probably like, okay, shepherd, what are you talking about? And he's like, whenever a lion or a bear would attack the sheep, I'd attack them back. I'd fight a lion or a bear, and I'd kill them. If I can do that, I can kill this giant. I ain't scared. Nine and a half feet tall. Bring it on. I ain't scared of some giant. He persisted because he wanted to make sure that everybody knew that his God had his back. and He wasn't going to be scared of anybody or anything. See, I know the story isn't over yet. Because I've read it before. I've heard it a lot. I've been in church. I know how this story ends, so I know it's not over yet. And I know my story's not over yet because my story's going to end with glory. So if I'm not in glory yet, then the story's not over, right? David's story isn't over yet. I mean, all the flannel graphs and Sunday school curriculums and sidekick lesson books, they're all over now. At verse 50, they end. Now, David had never read verse 50. Look back at it again. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. That's where all the stories end in the Sunday school curriculums. Because it gets a little gruesome in the next verse. They don't want to, I guess they don't want to scare kids. I don't know. But that is next to the end of the story. All he did was stun the giant with a stone. And that's how some of us live. We never make it to verse 51. We're content just to stun our enemies and then go back to our same old dysfunction. I'm content just to come to church and get a little encouragement or get a little challenge from God's Word and then go back right out to my same old dysfunctional life. I don't want to kill anything. I just want to stun it long enough so I can look the part. But look at verse 51. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and used it to kill him and cut off his head. That won't play well to three to seven-year-olds probably, so you want to steer away from that maybe in sidekicks. But <laughs> You get what I'm saying? What am I saying? He didn't come with a sword. He only came with a sling and a stone. But the enemy brought the very weapon that David was going to use to win the battle. The enemy showed up with exactly the weapon David needed to kill the giant. He brought exactly what was needed to finish the story off. But the giant had his sword. He had to go get it from him. He couldn't be content just to fall back. I mean, you know how this story ends because you know who wrote it. God wrote it. But that isn't where the story ends either. I used to always think that was where the story ended. But that isn't where it ends either. A few years later, King Saul is chasing David, trying to kill him out of jealousy when he's supposed to have his back. He's trying to kill him. And David's so afraid, he runs out of town so quick, he forgets to take any weapons or provisions with them. And he runs to the town of Nob, and there's a temple there. And he goes inside the temple, and he talks to a priest named Ahimelech. And he asks him for some food to eat because he had to leave so quick he couldn't get any food. And he says, and while I'm here, do you have any weapons I can use? And the priest says, there's no weapons in the temple except one. And this is the weapon that's in the temple. It's in 1 Samuel 21.9. It 
the priest says, I only have the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, the priest replied. He wouldn't have found a sword in Nob if he hadn't defeated his giant in the valley of Elah. If he had just hit him with the stone and left, giant would have got back up and walked off with his own sword. Instead, he runs over, takes the sword, chops off his head, and wouldn't you know it, two years later, the very weapon he needed was sitting there waited, waiting because he fought the battle God wanted him to fight a couple years earlier. Do you get it yet? God doesn't say that no weapon will be formed against you. Isaiah 54, 17, this is a pretty famous verse in Christian circles. But it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. But the verse doesn't say that there won't be any weapons formed against you. It just says that the weapons formed against you won't work. And that's all good. And a lot of people have heard that verse before. But almost no Christians back up and read the verse right before that one. Can I show it to you? Verse 16, it says this. I have created the blacksmith. This is God talking. I have created the blacksmith who fans the coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction. And I have created the armies that destroy, but no weapon formed against you will prosper. What's he saying? There's enemies out there all over, giants everywhere, making weapons to take you down. But who do you think made them? I mean, the enemy's making the weapons, but I made the enemies. Who do you think's pulling these strings? Who do you really think's in control and in charge? You don't have to be afraid of some weapon coming against you. It won't succeed. I made the enemy that made that weapon. He doesn't have anything on you. I'm in control. I'm in charge. I'm pulling all the strings. Are you with me? This story, it could have went a lot of different ways. It could have ended a whole lot different. If David had decided just to disobey his dad, story ends a whole different way. If David had just decided to stand there and fight with his brother all day, it would have ended a whole different way. If David had let the king discourage him and just run away ashamed of how young he was or how little he was, it could have ended a whole different way. None of those stories would have made the Bible. They wouldn't be in any of our curriculum. But David decided, I get a part to play in how this story is going to end. I can trust God because I know he's writing it. But I got a part to play. So when I'm faced with all the ordinary stuff, work, chores, assignments, people in my neighborhood, friends I'm dealing with, family members. When I'm dealing with all the ordinary stuff day to day, I'm going to put on a good attitude because it's going to make my story a lot different. When somebody offends me, offense comes my way, I get angry and frustrated, I'm just going to turn 180. I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm not going to let it distract me. And when somebody tries to hit me with all of my onlys, all the inadequacies and shortcomings I got. When somebody hits me with all of those, I'm just going to answer them with the same answer David gave. I'm just going to keep persisting. Just keep persisting. I know one thing. You can't make me quit. I love all you guys. There's people in this room who have said hurtful things to me before. There's people outside of this room who have said hurtful things to me before. There's people in this room who have tried to fight with me before. Not physically because I'd lose, but I'm just saying they've tried to fight with me before. There's people in this room that have tried to put me in positions that really frustrate me, get me angry, make me want to have a bad attitude. All I know is I'm not going to let you steal my giant. I'm going to kill him myself. 
I'm not going to let you defeat me. I'm not going to waste my time fighting the wrong enemy. I'm not going to waste my time walking through life with a bad attitude. I'm not going to waste my time being discouraged by all my shortcomings. No, I'm going to see victory. And when I do, God's going to get all the credit for it. I'm going to watch him take the very weapons that were meant to defeat me and use those same weapons to deliver me. I'm going to watch victory. I don't have to earn it. I don't even have to do the fighting. God will do all that. I'm going to watch him give me victory. I hope you'll do it with me. Can I pray with you today? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for our church. I pray that you would give them the the wisdom to hear your truth, that you would give them the capacity to receive and feel and experience your grace, and you would give them the courage to walk out of our building today and to live the way David lived, to, to, to approach their ordinary life with a good attitude, to walk up to offenses and to just turn around and walk away. That you would give them the, the strength to persist, even when everybody just keeps mentioning all their onlys. God, would you change our hearts, give us greater faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.